Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Mailbag Edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Um, there's not a lot in the mailbag, <laughs> and I don't know what to say. Should we not do mailbags anymore? Uh, I have an idea, and that's if it's the day that we record a podcast and there's less than five items in the mailbag, we just take the week off. Yeah, right? Like, if you people aren't even going to fucking participate anymore, and you international listeners, I'm looking at you, Singapore. If you aren't going to start participating, then why should we do this? I just post a tweet that's like, well, there's nothing in the mailbag, so we'll see you next week when we talk about redemption. You're lucky. You're lucky we don't have a a Call of Duty game going right now. Everybody. This is true. You could have an hour Uh, and a half of us half having a conversation and half reacting to somebody shooting us in the ass no one no one on here remembers how bad it is to listen to us play call of duty together (laughs) hey do you suppose call of duty is uh, as a percentage more nazis now or fewer than when we played Uh, i mean it was already a lot of nazis i already reported a lot of people with uh, 88s and hhs in their name that was the game within the game was the meta, the, yeah. The people with the names and clan tags that were awful. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, well, they've been emboldened. Okay, so yes, that's true. I would, I would have to imagine more. I mean, I think we last played in like 2017, maybe early. Yeah, it's been a bit. 2018, so yeah. Yeah, it's probably Yeah, with that game, that World War II one that I didn't didn't really like that much. Mm-hmm. I suppose there's a... Um, game we could play together online that wasn't full of Nazis, or is that ship sailed? I don't know. Maybe when, maybe if there's ever online co-op multiplayer in Project Wingman or whatever. Oh, I wonder if they're working on that. I wonder if they have the technological expertise to do that. Project Wingman, everybody, is the um, the ripoff created entirely in your basement version of Ace Combat. That I that I that, have you played it? Because I played through the whole thing downloaded it have not yet played it okay um it's exactly like ace combat in every way but it's different it's not ace combat it's kind of like how audio tonics exactly like audacity in every way did i tell you maybe even on this podcast that i got down a weird rabbit hole where i watched like i watched a 30 minute video where a guy explained how belka did nothing wrong (laughs) (laughs) i love that there's a belka defender yeah, there's a fucking Belka defender, and the comments were full of other Belka defenders who were like, <laughs> I know, right? Like, they were forced to nuke their own cities or whatever the fuck. Did you find the arguments persuasive, or? No. Okay. I found them disturbing. It made me not want to watch any more of this guy's videos, frankly. Well, that's fair. There is a weird amount of Ace Combat content out there. I've watched oh. my fair share. I mean, I get it, for sure. Yeah. Like, uh... You know, 
the idea of strange real there's a parasite that lives in your brain mm-hmm. and you're like why do they have mig 17s what's the yeah project wingman at least slightly mixes around the names of the aircraft so like instead of an F14D it's something like a some some other designation 14 or something D14 or something that, so that you you still know it's a tomcat but like it ain't, it ain't technically a tomcat so you don't have to wonder why one one force has all of these weird different planes from different manufacturers yeah and like um i think they put like some weird front canards on the f-22 to make it like a different f-22 so they do some stuff (laughs) okay well that doesn't seem necessary but but it's mostly the same and again it takes place on a weird earth where a a huge fucking cataclysm happened hundreds of years ago so all of the nation states are totally different so you know you're not like fighting russia you're fighting like um the federation which is a bunch of allied states and you're like you're in Cascadia. You might remember that from the Sentinel. Uh, <laughs> when they were the Cascade PD. I think. Oh my God! You, is that a shared universe? Holy fuck! I think you're vastly overestimating how much I remember of the Sentinel. You don't remember that they were the Cascade Police Department? I remember that he had like. Didn't he have like a nerdy little assistant? Mm-hmm. Who whose was name like, was? No. Blair. Blair. And he was doing his fucking doctorate on... Tribal. Yeah, tribal cultures in Central America or something. And uh, he wanted to write about the Jaguar Warriors or something. Was there ever an episode where he got Jaguar Warrior powers? Because that seems like a fucking no-brainer, right? That must have happened at least once where he, he got into... He went to his happy place. And was able to channel the powers that um, Richard Berge, Detective Ellison, Detective Ellison could do. Yeah. Namely, to smell gas, but only right at the last minute. <laughs> only when the thing's going to blow up anyway and you're all too close. Yeah, he his superpower uh, was not. <sighs> was good may, at may, all. You know what, Matt? Maybe it wasn't a good show. No, I think there were like five different episodes where a lady with strong perfume messed with him. Because her perfume overpowered his senses. I um I'm happy to report that we are still stalled halfway through the Babylon 5 pilot movie. Mm. So you know progress is going great there. Yeah, you got um the the different first officer and the different doctor and Yeah. Um, we have restarted watching the third collection of Great British Baking Show, so <laughs> that's taking could be a while. Yeah. Look, the pilot is mostly nothing the pilot movie here uh, i don't know what you're talking about jakar has already tried to pay lita for sex to get some so that they can have some narn telepaths that sticks around but uh, most of it it kind of doesn't but if you watch season one katherine if you're watching i mean listening if you're listening to this however many months on from when we record it uh, by the time she hears this we will either have watched all of babylon 5 or it will no longer be on hbo max so <laughs> but go ahead season one is very hard to watch but all the stuff in it matters that's all i can say 
even though they had to build a trapdoor in everyone's character in case they went crazy in real life and had to leave the show. <laughs> even though they had to use that trapdoor a couple of times. It all still uh, comes wow. back. Also, uh, everyone from the show, all the actors are dead except for Box Lightner, I think. You just see, the thing is, you don't, you don't need a... Uh, no, I think Claude Christian's still alive, right? Yeah, so I think maybe those two are still alive. Okay. She's, uh, I'm sure she's recording uh, voice parts for Elder Scrolls Six as we speak. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, they're definitely deep into that. They're not just yeah. going to keep saying, no, no, it's coming, though. It's, we're getting I mean, there. Well, Skyrim's now available on your washing machine, but <laughs> yeah. Right. You want to buy it again for your Samsung washing machine? Um, you know, it turns out that you don't need a carefully crafted backdoor. Um, you can just have your character suddenly develop superhuman powers and throw your ship 10,000 light years to avoid the Borg and then never speak of them again. Yeah, Voyager really didn't do a lot of that that legwork behind nope. the scenes to make sure that they were okay if they had to dump a character. They really did just have her yeet them across the fucking galaxy and then disappear. Though I insist, like Con Gary, she will be back exactly one time. <laughs> I, I remember it happening. I mean, you're probably right. <clears throat> you uh, you are the you are in uncharted waters as far as I'm concerned with Voyager. You could tell me anything, and I would have to believe you until I have seen the rest of these episodes. I've already been hyping you up off air about uh, Timeless, the episode coming up, and I'm excited for it. Garrett Wong has got a new haircut. It's really good. I guess it's finally time we do the mailbag, huh? <laughs> All right, let's do it. Mailbag. By brother date. On the 21st, Shannon writes at brother date. This made us laugh when flipping through the channels, and she has taken a picture of what looks like the guide for, I guess they were watching Horror Channel Plus One. Okay. Uh, Star Trek, the original series, and here is the summary Kirk vanishes, then loses his memory. Oh, yes, and he's on a planet that's about to be obliterated. That sounds like five or six different TOSs. Uh, it does, but of course you know which one it is. Yeah, it's the one where he's Kirok. It's the one where he's Kirok. You replied, I am Kirok. One of my favorite moments from the project so far is just watching him scream at the top of his lungs <laughs> that he's Kirok. But he's so mad that he doesn't know the passcode to get into that obelisk or whatever it is. That episode was wild. Um... Yeah, the Spock stays in his quarters for two months playing the loot. Yeah, as they slowly He's... like reverse to that planet. Um, we uh, that's either from the episode Spock's Rocks or the episode Spock's Rocks Talk. <laughs> I think that's Spock's uh, Rock Talk where he tries in vain to explain to McCoy what's happening with that rock. Yes, yeah, could be Spock's Rock Talk. Um, but there are two very similarly named episodes of this program. So it's once in one of those two. It makes it seem like it was a themed decision, but I just didn't remember I'd named the first one. That's right. Spock's Rocks. <laughs> uh, no. And uh, if, if you, uh, I was looking in our analytics and I sorted the episodes alphabetically once I realized you could do that just to take a look and see oh, what kind of patterns we have. Did we have any repeats that I just never caught? Uh, we do not have any repeats. Yes. That's the closest for sure. All right. Because I'm not going to check. No, and, you know, this this episode that we're recording will be 218. All right. So. I mean, that's a that's fair many, number. 
a fair number of podcasts. It is. Uh, on the 28th of January, you tweeted, this is everything to me. And what you were tweeting is a picture of your trending, your Twitter trending, <laughs> and it says, Ja Rule. Ja Rule calls on individual investors to hold the line and avoid selling any of the heavily shorted stocks that were restricted on Robinhood Thursday morning. <laughs> uh, to which you tweeted, welcome to the revolution, Jeffrey. That's uh, so amazing. I've never seen Ja Rule trending, for sure. That was a first. Uh, didn't he get, wasn't he, he was inv involved in all that fire Festival shit, right? Oh shit, you're right! <laughs> Wait a minute, he, so, so he has trended before while we've been doing so this So he was in the news a few years ago as the bad guy. Yeah, but now. As being involved in this, uh, disaster of a festival that was okay. put on for the benefit of rich people, so it's like, all right, you don't feel too bad about the individual victims, but then it's like all the people on the island got ripped off too, and it's you feel worse about them. Okay, but in my anyway, head, Ja Rule didn't know any of that, and he went in with a great attitude, and he wasn't part of the deception at all. Uh, yeah, maybe not. He just thought this is going to be a great which, time. Depends on which documentary you watch. <laughs> and there were two that came out at the same time, and I watched that's neither. Right. <laughs> Uh, and we watched both of them, I believe. Hmm. But yeah, he so Jaru, that would have been maybe the last time anyone thought about him. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess he's decided he's on the side of the little guy in this in this stonk battle in the stonk in the stonks <laughs> battle. Um. <laughs> uh, so that's great. Welcome to the revolution, Jeffrey. As as you said, I couldn't remember um, his name when I was crafting the tweet. I had to look it up. I was like J J Jeremy. <laughs> Jonathan, Jeremy, and then I looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, Jeffrey, that's right. Uh, and just yesterday, Ben tweeted at Brother Date, I guess all we needed all along was a dinosaur. It's a retweet of Dinosaur Comics, uh, a discussion about uh, what the worst episode of Star Trek is and what, what it means that we as a species can't decide. Mm, always uh, with a philosophical bent that... Uh that dinosaur comic. That's correct. Uh, what episodes two, did it name? The two specifically named are Spock's Brain. Okay, a lot of people think that one was terrible. Brain and Brain, what is Brain? I get it. Yes. And what is the one that he says is the worst? Uh, Threshold. The one where they become uh, catfish alligators, right? That is correct. Boy. Uh, and in the, uh, in the tweet itself, he says, pouring one out for Shades of Grey, which is bad, but in a different way. Yeah, that's just a bad attempt. Right. Um, yeah, Catfish Alligators. Not the alligators. lowest scoring episode of TNG, by the way. No, because that's the one we just did. <laughs> we. It is unfortunately in theory. Yeah. I mean, that is a bad one. But it's weird. As bad as I think in theory is, I've never considered it definitively the worst. But it, I just, it just it turns out it has nothing to say, which is a big problem the way we score. Right. I, I could definitely see Threshold as a candidate for worst, but there is an episode called Twisted, in which the plot of the episode was the the ship got all twisted. That was um, it. There are, that was the whole plot. There, there are seven episodes of TNG that uh, have scored worse than the clip show Shades of Grey. Mm -hmm. uh, let's do a quick quiz. Oh, okay. Quiz time for Ryan. And no one else. 
torture for Judah and man. All right. Matthew, through the first 98 episodes of TNG, seven episodes scored lower in our rubric. Sure. Than the clip show Shades of Grey. I can see that you are not currently in Landru. Yes, I can't cheat. You definitely would see me. I, I would for there. sure know if you loaded Landru during this. So, Matthew, how many? Let's see how many of those seven episodes you can name. I'm going to give you ten guesses. Okay. Um. Okay. Well, let's see. In season one, bad ones I remember are we'll always have Paris. Incorrect. Fuck. I could have sworn that would be one. It's so bad. Uh, uh, we'll only ha- we'll always have Paris is uh, scored as many as twenty eight points, what? six higher than Shades of Grey. I guess it was about something. That's Maybe. crazy. All right. Well, I always think of that as terrible. Okay. Um. Hmm. Boy, now I'm af- now see now I'm afraid. I wasted a guess. <laughs> I thought I was for sure going to be one of them. How about too short a season? Incorrect, Matthew. Too short a season scored 25 points, three more than Shades of Grey. Fuck. Could have sworn that one where where Picard just turns his head away like, I don't want to deal with this when he finds out about all the weapons. (laughs) (laughs) I could have sworn that would be one. Fuck. All right. Um, Hmm. Maybe I should leave season one. I will tell you, I'll give you this clue. Only one of the seven episodes is from season one. And that one, I am confident. All right. Is the big goodbye. It is the big goodbye. Yeah! There's one of them. <laughs> what did it score? Uh, the big goodbye scored 21 points, one less than Shades of Grey. Okay, all right. It one is the highest three. scoring, Matthew, of the of the seven. Okay. Uh boy. All right, yeah. Got, I got the season one one. So season two. Couple from season two. How about? Oh, there's so many bad ones in season. In my head, I'm already like I, <laughs> four popped into my head instantly. I thought of the child. I thought of Elementary Dear Data. I thought of the Outrageous Okana, and I thought of Loud as a Whisper. Uh, just instantly. Um, out of those, I'm going to say Elementary Dear Data. I'm afraid Elementary Dear Data scored 24 points, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> all right six to go you have to get them all right now that's still well there's no way i'm gonna get 100 percent um that's still pretty bad but that's not bad enough oh oh um time squared uh, i'm sorry matthew time what? squared is not even on this page i would have to scroll up to find it he did a cold murder for no reason he sure is a murderer that ain't great uh-oh where is time squared did it did it escape the Matrix? Is Times Square no, out in the in the uh, wild? Times Square scored forty five points, Matthew. <gasps> Hold on a second. <laughs> it's the uh, tied for twentieth best episode that we've ever done. I love this project. I love what we did here. That's going to be a mind blow for me forever. Wow, that <laughs> must have been about something, huh? Well, uh, the Royale. I'm sorry, Matt. Not the Royale either. <laughs> I'm not uh, good at this. It turns out <laughs> where you're leaving it, you're going to end up leaving at least two on the table. Uh oh. Where's the Royale? There's no way the Royale scored points. Come on, the Royale. What could that possibly have been about? I'm going to have to search. 
If you, if you're uh, an alien. Oh, uh, this is why. The Royale is tied with Shades of Grey. Oh, uh, well. So, partial credit? Uh, I mean, I guess. <laughs> you have four guesses to go. Fuck. Hey, can you give me a clue where any of them season two? Yeah, yeah there's another season two on there. Oh, just one though, huh? Oh, mm, uh, I believe so. Mm, mm. Um, boy, it's kind of unbelievable. The Royale is not one of them. <laughs> I mean, it almost is. Oh, but the Shitsoid Man's pretty bad too. I'm gonna say the child. The child scored 27 points, Matthew. I'm really beefing this, I'm beefing this quiz. All right, you got three guesses. You've got six left on the on the table. It's killing me that I can't come up with this season two one. You're fucking throwing an easy one away. I can't believe it. Oh, an easy episode that's just not season two? Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, hmm. Matthew, what's the worst episode of TNG so far? Oh, well, the one we did last week, right. Uh, yeah. In theory. Sorry about that. Okay, yeah, so yeah. there's one. I forgot we had just talked about that. Um, Two more guesses. You could probably remember what had been the worst one before that. You did bring it up, but I was too busy talking about how I thought it was the worst to hear what you said. How I thought, right. in theory, was the worst. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm going to stay in sequence. I'm going to get the season two one. It is... The Outrageous Okana. It is not The Outrageous Okana. Hold on. The Outrageous Okana scored 29 points. Matthew, stay in sequence. Stay in sequence? Yes. So it's loud as a whisper? I'm telling you it's fucking early in season two. Oh. But earlier than The Outrageous Okana? Yes. So it is elementary to your data? Did I already say that? It's not elementary dear data. You already guessed it. Is it where silence has lease? It's where silence has lease. <laughs> really? All right. That one didn't even occur to me as being as bad. 19 points, Matt. Is that because Nagilan didn't know what a woman was? That wasn't that great. <laughs> okay, here are the episodes you did not name. Ugh. You got the big goodbye. All right. Well, that's it. I you mean, did- that's the only one I got without help. You did not get the nth degree. Uh, I mean, that was bad. Yeah, 20 points. Yeah. You did not get Galaxy's Child. I guess that one was probably but. 18 points. You did not get Cupid. Oh, well, fuck. I should have got that. That was pretty recent. 17 points. Even more recent, you did not get Night Terrors. Yeah, Night Terrors sucked, huh? Man, hey, season four wasn't so good. It definitely had a lot of stinkers. In um, theory, uh, Cupid, The Nth Degree, Night Terrors, all season four. Uh, Sins of the Father, season three? Yes. Or season four? Season mm. three. Oh, Galaxy's Child, season four, too. Wait a minute. Five of the answers were in season four. Yeah. And in fact, the last, like, ten episodes. Yeah. Wow. It's been a real slump. Okay. Um... You can see it in the TNG average that it has has pl- has dropped. I mean, it hasn't plummeted because it's we're now averaging over so many episodes. But the five ep average really hit the toilet at about week ninety one. I'm jumping in the lander now, so for, I can for take, TNG, take yeah. a hot look. 
Oh, boy. I beefed it. I feel really bad about it. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, so, you know, uh, according to our project, Dinosaur Comics, uh, you're right. Shades of Grey is, Heather, is the eighth worst out of the first 98 TNGs. And there's there could be some real some real farts coming up in the last hundred too. So it was very bad, mainly because look, obviously they had to find a way to put a narrative around that clip show, but like when he feels angry emotions, the virus gets killed. <laughs> and when he feels happy emotions, the virus is happy. When he like, feels uh, horny emotions, the virus Does he almost die? Wait, is it the horny emotions that kill it? What is it killing it? The angry, scared, when he's scared and angry, like the defense, the ones where he feels like he needs to defend himself or whatever. And the ones where he's horny or happy or like the virus gets stronger or whatever. Yikes. So you got a, a pretty heavily prompted three out of seven. Yeah, I only got one on my own. Yeah. So that turns out to be tough, and I think it is difficult to divorce how you feel about watching the episodes from their score. Yeah, because the score is based on these criteria, and these criteria sometimes, as we talk about every week, do not reflect our enjoyment of the episodes. I wonder, do you want to go for a daily double? Oh, yeah, let's do it. I love quizzes. Okay, all right, we'll do, let's play it again. You want me to hop out of Landry? Yeah, get out of Landry. Quiz time for Ryan and no one else. Torture for Judah and Matt. Nuh-uh, I love this. Uh, Matthew, 11 episodes of TOS oh. scored at least 40 points. Oh, shit. Uh, okay. So... And that's why I'm cutting it off at 11 instead of 10. There's just, you know, there's one that scored exactly 40. So Uh, of these, let's see how many of these top 11 episodes you can name. This time I'm going to give you 15 guesses. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm afraid to stay in sequence. Um, (laughs) Because I got stuck on Do you remember the sequence at all? I mean, I can kind of remember which ones were in season one and which ones were in season two. The long season of... um, um, fucking over and over again doing prime directive shit and then uh season three was just a real clusterfuck i can't believe there were many of those in season three um Uh, no i would say uh oh boy i guess one i guess one in season three if it's in season three i'm not sure i want to say the man trap because i know it one week one yep that's one um, let's do, uh, the Corbomite Maneuver? The Corbomite Maneuver is also correct. Hell yeah. One of the Menageries. I guess I'll say one. Menagerie Part 1 is correct. Balance of Terror. Balance of Terror, of course, is correct. That was the top scoring of all the TOS episodes. And for a while, it was number one in general. Um, I mean, it scored 55. It's got to still be number two, right? I would think so. Yeah. 
That's uh, number three. Sorry, because there's I can a fifty-seven. The there's a fifty-seven. Is the top right? Yeah, measure of a man. I think is still our top, and then uh, there must be one more in between them. Uh, court martial. Court martial. So it's not one of them. It okay. is. Uh, it scored 32 points, which ah. puts it in 178th position. That's not correct. That's not. It's tied with at least one more. And so, you know, but it's. There are 177 better than it, for sure. Okay. Mm. Well, definitely not Cat's Paw. Um, let's see. No. You got 10 more guesses, by the way. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of any that stood out to me as being like about things and not the worst um how about god there i can only think of bad ones right now hold on um galileo 7 uh galileo 7 scored 35 so it's it's relatively high up the list but it's not in the top 11 we really are now at a point where it's like what can i remember from tos (laughs) now that we are however many weeks on what can i remember you did pretty good in your first six guesses you got four there were some that i remembered Uh, scoring well yeah um but you haven't gotten number two on the list so that's the highest ranking one that's still missing uh where no man has gone before where no man has gone before also scored 35 Yet. So it's not on the list. Um, Even though it's got all that great Esper talk. <laughs> it's very important for the world building of the show. Um, Arena? Ooh, Arena is really just outside the list. It scored 37. Dang it, now what am I, four and four on this one? Yeah, you got seven guesses left. Shit balls. Um. Hmm. hmm, hmm. How about a taste of Armageddon? A taste of Armageddon is that second one that was on there. That's the one where they do the computer simulated war, right? That is correct. Everyone reports to the vaporization chambers or whatever. And Kirk and Spock escape from jail six times. Yes. <laughs> they Kirk never. They just can't stop. Spock. Spock mind melts with a guard through a door. <laughs> Not only mind melts, doesn't he mind control him? He may mind control I him. I think he six mind, mind controls him. Six left, six to go. You could still do it. Uh, hmm. Oh, boy. I, uh, what was the name of the one where the two guys are wrestling throughout the cosmos? That had my, my all-time favorite shot of that show was those two guys whenever they'd go into their wrestling mode and the camera uh-huh. would get all crazy uh, maybe that wasn't that, a good one what is the name what is the name of that fucking episode this is, we really are down to what do i fucking remember at all was that patterns of force no requiem for methuselah no no i don't know well fuck i don't know the name of that one unless you could give me a name yeah um Mm, mm, oh um oh man these are t- this is tough uh uh 
Journey to Babel or Babel. Uh, Journey to Babel scored 38 right outside the list. Five guesses left. Balls. Uh, You're, you haven't named any real stinkers. It's not like... I'm trying uh, not to name the whichever bad Whichever one you thought was one of the worst 10 or worst oh, seven, Time but squared. it turned out to score 41. Time squared, which I thought for sure, that can't be a good one. That's Buck Wild. But no, apparently, <laughs> apparently we gave that one hella points. Um, here's an episode title I remember, and I don't know what the episode is, but that seems like a good sign. The Omega Glory. Uh, Matt, that's the worst episode of TNG. Scored eight points total. That's why I remember it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Which one was that? Fuck. Which one was the Omega Glory? Is that the one? It's a Nazi one, I think. Oh. Well, that's not so one of the not One of the various Nazi ones? Yeah, there were like nine of those. I remember Ben loved The Trouble with Tribbles, but I don't think we were as high on it. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say... Assignment Earth, the backdoor pilot. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. I think that it would have been week. fun if it had been Assignment Earth. Um, Assignment Earth scored 27 points. Oh, okay. Did it win week 55? Let in me my, take a in look. In my memory, the backdoor pilot won the week, and I was very unhappy. Or surprised. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong. It beat The Price. Oof. Uh, Alter Ego. I don't even remember. Probably something about Dax. Uh, Rajin. Oh, that's not good. And the Deep Space Nine episode, Fascination, which scored 11 points, including <laughs> getting getting a double zero at the top end. Was Fascination the one where he wanted to do the scientist magic wife? Or was Fascination the one where the lady came and made nah. Jake a really good author? No, it's neither. Fascination oh. is 55. It must be the one where they all fall in love with each other because oh, of Walks on a Troy. Yeah, that was a bad one. All right. Um, Menagerie it Part 2. 11 points, 5 in world building, and 6 in characterization total. The Menagerie Part 2. This, I, I should have come I should have come back to it. Uh, should have, but you would have been wrong. Fuck. Menagerie Part 2 only scored 33 points. Oh, Two guesses left, and then maybe. I'll tell you the last six if you don't have any more of them. thought maybe all that uh, courtroom stuff would have been good. Um... Oh, uh, um, the alternative factor is the name of the one where the two guys wrestle. The alternative ah, yeah, factor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, then the answer is no. All right. I mean, I didn't the remember. Alternative it being factor good. is way down. It scored eighteen total points. I didn't remember it being good for sure. Well, uh, what's the name of the one with the Horta? Uh, that's the Devil in the Dark. How about Devil in the Dark? Devil in the Dark with forty-one points yeah. is the ninth best. All right. All right, so I did my best. you got six of the 11. <laughs> my here really, are the other five. The challenge here really was I cannot remember most of these episodes. Here are the other five, Matthew. The Squire of Gothos. Uh, what was that about? Uh, you know, that's the one where they go and they visit uh, Tr- 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 Trelawney. Trelawney. The Squire Trelawney. He's like a Q, and um. he makes them... They're in his Baroque palace. Oh, and then it turns points? out he's a kid. Forty-three points. <laughs> um, hated that one. Operation Annihilate. Oh, really? Wow. I mean, I yeah. remember that episode, but I didn't remember it as being good. That's Which the one, one is that? The fr- fried eggs? Yeah, where Spock sacrifices his vision, but yes. then like his vision just comes back. Oh, he's had another eyelid. That's not big. Uh, the Enterprise incident. Where yes. Spock seduces that Romulan captain. 
Oh. To steal a cloaking device. That was such a buck wild plot, though. Yeah. Kirk just goes rogue and flies into the the neutral zone to steal something. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it will turn out he had secret orders, but like... All right. He, everyone had to be in the dark about it. Uh, the Return of the Archons. Mm, boy, that's... Hmm. I can't remember uh, that. Hold on, I'm looking it up. Is that the Chicago Gangster episode? No, uh, it's the one with the night of violence during the festival. Oh, right. Festival. Festival's pretty exciting. I remember that. Yeah. Wow, that got points too, huh? Huh. (laughs) Yeah, Return of the Archons. Uh, And the last one, episode four, The Naked Time, scored 40 points. Oh, man. That's the one I should have done that was, uh, that they uh, redid in the TNG. I did Where No Man Has Gone Before. I should have done Naked Time. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, yeah, you know, what's so, really annoying is Return of the Archons is the one with Landrew, so that's how I should have known. Oh, fuck me, it is. That's why, that's why I should have guessed that one. Landrew. Yes, Landrew is, <laughs> as of looking out the window. Uh, wait, Landrew's not the one from the planet where they go into the cave? Landrew's not the leader no, there? No, Landrew's definitely festival. Uh, I don't remember which cave. <laughs> you know, the one where he tells them at the end that they'll figure out sex and don't worry oh, about it. No, the one where they don't know about sex is, um, uh, boy. <sighs> now you're right. Return of the Archons is, is, Archons is definitely Lander. You know, the other computer that yeah. Kirk had to destroy. <sighs> I, boy, I cannot tell the names of these things. I, I don't know. I don't know any of them. <laughs> like, I don't know what any... Like, I'm looking at the episode list now, and I don't know what most of these are. So... Uh, this side of paradise? No, that ain't it. Uh, no, isn't that the one? That's the one with the plants. With the jizz plants. With the jizz plants? Jesus. Uh, uh, hmm, uh, it's, uh, snake. Com- Kirk Snake Computer. Let's just see if that does anything. Yeah, sure. That could be. Uh, uh, boy. Uh, the. I'm just clicking the, on random. The ones. Apple? Oh. Oh, that makes sense, I guess. Because they, they're so innocent. They don't even do fuck. Yes, that's right. It is the Apple. They don't even do fuck. Sorry, I'm just this is a list of all the times uh, Kirk smashes computers. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I found that out. Um, those are fun. Uh, this really opens the door for impromptu quizzes. <laughs> well, the ability to sort and filter uh, Alandra's rankings. As long as people don't mind off-week Star Trek content, I know that's fine. Yeah. Well, I know that Ryan particularly likes quizzes. Matthew, the episode that scored 56 points is Sins of the Father. Okay. That's a, that was a good so, episode. Measure of a Man, Sins of the Father, and Balance of Terror are the top three so far. All right, I'm just, my mind will be forever blown that Times Squared got 45 points. <laughs> when he says, yep. the cycle must end here, or whatever he says, and he just uh, fucking shoots the guy and everyone goes, I mean, if anyone was there, they would have gone, what do you mean? <laughs> what does any of that mean? What does mean? it mean? <laughs> you killed um, that guy. 
Boy, we weren't even that far apart. I gave it 24 and you gave it 21. Um, I gave it an 8 in execution and you gave it a 6 and we both gave it 6 in characterization. So I, I do kind of remember now that we're talking about it saying something like, I know it's Buck Wild that he murdered a guy, but everyone in this episode is so great. <laughs> yeah, must be. <laughs> I kind of remember really enjoying what everyone was up to in this episode. <laughs> Uh, the saying guy. to nobody for no reason the cycle ends here and shooting a guy we got good world building scores too i gave it a five and you gave it a four i wonder what that's based on hmm. uh i can listen to that a, one those are a good question because um. <laughs> that's like the only scene i remember from that episode is picard saying the cycle ends here cycle yeah. must end or whatever like there's a lot of talk in that episode about Oh, what do you do? Maybe knowing what was going to happen, maybe trying to change what you did the first time is what was the problem. Uh huh. Uh-huh, maybe what exactly. you should do, and then Riker just going. <laughs> I mean, I remember Picard being like so ashamed that his <laughs> yes, his coward. double had abandoned ship. Yeah. Um, oh, he hated being around that guy. He hated looking at him. He was like in the sick bay looking at it, like I fucking hate this thing. And then, sure enough, he fucking blasted it. Uh, I noticed said that I thought Troy had a good scene in sickbay with Pulaski. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. Uh, something about. Oh, how. fuck, man. You know why this scored so many points? Because of the Oan eggs. No, <laughs> that's the Oan eggs episode. That's a totally unrelated teaser. Yeah. That is a news radio style unrelated bit <laughs> where they just sit down for breakfast and it doesn't have anything to do with the episode. But that scene is one of the craziest scenes. Let's just go. Here's my quick hitters from that episode. <laughs> Oh, on eggs. Okay, so much going on here. Riker gets started way before his hot plate shows up. <laughs> yep. Pulaski brings alcohol to breakfast to what compliment his omelets. Ryan t- Riker tells his best friends on the ship, I never knew my mom, and no one even says a token. That must have been hard. <laughs> uh, he fucks up the omelets so bad that he serves them scrambled eggs. I saw him drop shells in it. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the shells in it I was like wow I'm just uh, and, gonna leave them and no one says shit about getting them scrambled eggs either nope um, also the entire breakfast is a little portion of scrambled eggs I said basically he's bullshitting here he's gonna scramble up some bullshit alien eggs no one has ever eaten before and make all of his subordinates choke it down it's a power play it really is Pulaski is impressed that he can pour eggs out of a bowl that's how <laughs> buck wild the future is she's like oh you have a practiced hand then I asked, was there a second after Riker left where Worf and Jordy and everyone were just like, do we sit here and finish breakfast in his room? <laughs> Is that one of the many scenes where someone leaves their own quarters? <laughs> yeah. And I said, probably the only time I approve of a this you should see for yourself call to the bridge. Because mm. it's, um, it's Picard. Oh, I said Picard's a real scatino in this scenario and everyone <laughs> else is that Coast Guard captain. Except we know from later, you know, from when after he did the murder that he got in that shuttle to try to save Enterprise. Not because he was uh, a coward. Yeah. I think I said I think Picard knows as soon as his clone wants to go to the shuttle that he's gonna kill him, and that's why he <laughs> says, You stay here, Detroit. I think you're right. And then of course he asks O'Brien and Pulaski yeah, to take care long, of his and I said long theory corner here, uh, is that only Pulaski and O'Brien ever know that Picard phasered his time twin. <laughs> And the official report reads that as soon as Picard ordered them to fly into the vortex, the other Picard disappeared. disappeared. And it was like time that, corrected yeah. itself. 
uh, and that this eats at Pulaski for the rest of season two. Yeah. And because uh, she had asked to transfer to Enterprise because she had a crush on Picard, uh-huh. but she knows now he's a killer and a liar. And I believe we tracked that through season two. All of the times she looked a little bit less enthused about being there. Yeah, she did in the beginning. Yeah, yep, that was yep, a yep. wild one. I guess we really just enjoyed it. I guess that's it. I gave best actor to Riker turning to look at Picard after the log plays. I guess Riker gives him a fucking dead look when uh, it turns out that he abandoned the ship. <laughs> That's probably why Picard reacts that way the whole episode and kills his time twin because of that look yeah. Riker gave him. I'm now not surprised that we scored at 45 points. All right. Well, we definitely had a lot to say about that one. That was a crazy Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I mean, mostly I had to talk about the Oan Eggs scene. Uh, we did talk for a, like a hot 40 minutes about Oan Eggs. So <laughs> that must have been a long episode. Oh, boy. Um, That's the end of the mailbag. That was mostly just reminiscing. <laughs> The mailbag was reminiscing <laughs> about the podcast we do to, when we want to get together and reminisce. Yeah. So that's cool. All right. Well, we did that thing. Hey, we had a special request during book club. Yeah, we uh, did for the, for the one person who listens to this episode, to this show who is not in book club. I don't know. Maybe whoever's in Singapore, they're probably not in book club. No, I don't think they've been joining real stealth. Like, I don't know, man. You don't know what zoom. Seems tricky. Maybe they found a way to get into all of our business. Yeah, it so could be. Listeners. Uh, well, we recently in book club read the 33 and a third series book on Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life. Yeah. And the book was hot trash. There's a name by, by a guy named Zeth Lundy. Everyone who, I guess just the towns. I don't know who listens to this who wouldn't be in the book club. Oh, um, uh, Barry and Shannon. Oh, yeah. Check out uh, Zeth Lundy. He's a real piece of crap. He can't write for balls. And he wrote this book about Stevie Wonder's 1976 record, Songs in the Key of Life, that is trash on every level. And all we did from moment one was complain about having to read it. Yeah. So it was a bad choice for book club, but I thought we would get to listen to some good music at least. We did, but everyone complained about how his garbage writing negatively affected their perception of the record. (laughs) Yes. So it was a real backfire. Well, again, it's not clear that he likes the record. No. Even Yeah, at he, the end of the day. I highlighted in the last chapter something that sounded like a compliment because it was the first one I could remember. Yeah. I was like, oh, look at that. Um, but at the end of that, Katie, uh, you and I led the discussion in this book club because Stevie Wonder is not new for us. Right. Uh, and uh, Katie said that all of your stories about Stevie Wonder were more interesting so she wanted you to do write up a dossier on your favorite Stevie Wonder album. Mm. And that I can do. That's an easy one. Yeah. So, so this is going to be our Brother Day at Special Report on Stevie Wonder's Music of My Mind? Yeah. It's a great record. Everyone check it out. Um, we've You've already heard a couple of songs from it on our other projects. So um, Love Having You Around is the, t- is the first track that made our track ones list. Um, Evil is the outro track that made our album cuts list. I probably picked both of them. Um, Uh, Oh, Love Having You Around could even have been me. I really like that track. You may have done, when we were doing our draft, I think we drafted on that. You you may have allowed me to pick it because you knew I was going to pick it. Yeah, that might be. Um, So I, after we were reading that garbage book, I did go back and sort of rank the Stevie Wonder records. Um, 
Songs in the Key of Life, which that book was about, only ended up being my sixth favorite Stevie Wonder record. Ooh, that means that's outside of uh, even just that mid-70s peak. Yeah, there's one Motown era, like classic Motown, not Tamla, um, era record that makes it in to that classic bunch for me, and that's for once in my life in 1968, which is a total banger of a record. Um, So it's like my least favorite of his classic period, and... The book we were reading about it was trash, and I actually probably came out of that book club going, I don't even know if I like this record, because <laughs> I was so pissed off about the book. No, it has some really good songs on it, but um, <clears throat> my favorite, like we talked about, Music in My Mind, then for me it goes Inner Visions, 1973, Fulfilling This First Finale, 1974, then For Once in My Life, 1968, then Talking Book, 1972, and then Songs in the Key of Life. And, um, I mean, I don't know what to say about music on my mind. It's like a, a strange, brilliant masterpiece that keeps enough of the Motown Stevie vocal brilliance, um, in the mix. So a lot of the stuff he does after it is really, really good and conceptual and groundbreaking, but he kind of takes it easier on the mm. performance aspect, but he really delivers some outstanding performances on this record. Um, I'd say, generally speaking, this album, kind of like the title suggests, is it's like a a trip through his mind in terms of like moods. It's just mood after mood, from from like insane walls of lusty fucking funk, like love having you round and keep on running, to sort of colder synth almost bummers like girl blue and parts of superwoman yeah it's like six of the nine songs at least are love songs Mm -hmm. but that doesn't stevie wonder has a bunch of love songs with very different moods too it's not like uh i think that all pop music that there's a you know love songs are hugely overrepresented in pop music anyway yeah, I and think they find they like it's super relatable. There's right. like it's the most relatable thing that people can come up with is those themes of romance. And yeah, so yeah. I mean, he's got a, a ton of different moods uh, on that subject. I mean, you get like I love every little thing about you and happier than the morning sun or kind of bright and quirky. And then you get these really powerful crescendoing ballads like Seems So Long and Evil. So you're really like you run the gamut of emotions on this record. And then you have Sweet Little Girl, which I assume is there to make you feel other indeterminate emotions. <laughs> that's that's one of the more challenging ones on the record. And it's it's maybe the weirdest song in his catalog, and he has some weird fucking songs. Yeah. But for me, this has always been a listen from start to finish record. No skips. Um, yeah, this was a big commute record for me. It's... Uh, well, it's about 40 minutes long. It's only nine songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I would put this on, you know, somewhere here in San Jose and it'd finish up most of the way to work, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And you just hear the synths, feel the music, get on your camel and ride, I guess. That's the whole deal. So it starts with love having you around. We can maybe yes. play a little bit of it because we've played it before here. Yeah, let's have a little of that. 
not fucking around with that vocoder he's like <laughs> no he got that talk box and he's going fucking nuts with it he's like eat shit peter frampton check this shit out um <laughs> i love that it's like there's like three different personas doing it too mm-hmm. like the guy who goes baby 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 is clearly different from mama, the first mama, one mama. Goes, mama mama baby <laughs> uh-huh baby 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 <laughs> On my camel, ride on, on my, my camel, camel. <laughs> which is like, I, I to this day, I don't know what it means that every no. day he's going to get on his camel and ride, but it's not like he wrote that lyric, it felt right, but he's not sure what it means, and he's going to just let it go by. He really fucking highlights it. Oh, no, he says it 500 times throughout ride that song. Ride on my camel, <laughs> ride on my camel. Yep. And like you said, this is one where you always have to remember what he's saying in the chorus because he slurs it so bad that you're like, yeah, that he sings because he loves having you around. And the only reason you can really tell if you didn't have the liner notes is because at the end he describes everything that's happening in the song on the weird (laughs) talking fade out where he says, I sing to her because I love having her around. So I I sing because I love I love having her around even when she's messing around, which is very (laughs) often. And you just go, what's happening? Yeah, dude, it's got it's a great, great intro to a record. Wild funk, inscrutable metaphors, and you're off to the races. I don't think I could be more hyped to hear the rest of an album than I am after listening to this song. And I say that in present tense because it's true every time I listen to it. So, so this is one of the things that when we were doing music of my mind, I noticed was you mean songs in the key of life. Songs in the key of life. Yeah. The first. 15 seconds of a song i'm going what but like if you just you just give it time like he's going to repeat the chorus 80 times in this song mm-hmm. and but by time 10 you're going to be on board oh hell so yeah. just stick it out yeah like you I, know the fir- the first time he talks about how oh, on saturn people live to be 205 <laughs> you're like okay i get it all right stevie uh, saginaw okay all right <laughs> But it's like, you know what, I'm just gonna let I'm just gonna sit with this because I bet I'm gonna get into it. Yeah, I bet if I found a good Stevie Wonder song sorter, like we you know, I don't know if you've played with one of those before where it basically gives you matchups of the different songs over and over and over again until it's done every combination so you know your exact order. Oh, I have not seen that. I think this would probably be like a top five Stevie Wonder song for me. Which is saying a lot because he's my all time favorite artist. But it's just so 
hot. It's seven and a half minutes of hot talk box. It's really good. <laughs> That's true. It's really good. By it's, the way, it's like what um, what Rimmer says in that Red Dwarf episode about the fried egg chili chutney sandwich, where all yes, the ingredients all the parts are wrong, are wrong. <laughs> but together it works. And that's this song, because I'm like, what? It's every like 70s trope, but if obviously it wasn't a trope yet. Yes. And you're like, well, this can't be good. But then you just, you're just like, well, that was fucking, that was amazing, I guess. Um, so, yeah, only nine songs on this record, and that's because many of them are quite long. And yeah. uh, the next one is Superwoman, which is eight minutes long, and it's basically three songs in one. Yes. Um. So yeah, I guess we could yeah, let's let's play that. Maybe we can skip around or something. Yeah. minutes there's like a long instrumental break and two other songs okay so (laughs) weird synth break (laughs) when the summer came you were not around now the summer's gone and love cannot be found where were you and I Uh, 
the electric guitar on this song is played by Buzz Fighton, who invented uh, a tuning system for guitars. So you can buy uh, guitars with his patented tuning system. Also, he shares a birthday with me. Oh, wow. All right. Well, this is the perfect record for you, then. That's some fun information I just learned while trying to figure out roughly where I should skip to <laughs> to hear the second part of the song. Yeah, it's... um. When we zipped into the second part, we were right at the end of a weird synth break. Synth break, yeah. And that one, to me, to me, that's where the lyrics and the composition really go hand in hand. Because when he starts talking about winter and everything, right after that cool down with the eerie synths, like I've always pictured like a frozen field or something listening to that part. Interesting. And yes, the lyrics maybe aren't winners in the 2020s he sounds like a whiny bitch right it's a song about how um uh, his lady wants to be everything and do everything and what about him bro? <laughs> but what about me she abandoned I him you <laughs> yeah you wanted to go off and like fucking be a superwoman but like what about your man so that's not great uh, wikipedia also describes the second part of the song as a reworking of never dreamed you'd leave in summer Okay. From where I'm coming from. I can kind of see that. Where I'm coming from, I didn't even put on the... Um, well, actually, I have it rated as... Mm -mm, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. As my 10th favorite record in the uh, time from 68 to 79. I don't even have it on my iPad. It's got a couple of good songs on it. It's Obviously, it's got If You Really Love Me, which was the hit. And it's got um, a song I like called Sunshine In Their Eyes, which is kind of a... Um, a song meant to kick people into action about community stuff. But um, it's not overall, it's a very uneven record. It was like his first post-Motown attempt. And I think the kick in the ass he got from that record sent him into the basement where he made Talking Book and, and Music <laughs> in My Mind. Because everyone went, what the fuck is this? Um. Uh, anyway, it's... um. It's a really it, this is a really good song, Superwoman. It's um I think he's playing a version of Stevie Wonder on all of these tracks. And he's by no means a perfect human in real life, but I 100 100% believe that this Stevie is nesting somewhere inside of that um Jabba-like presence we see on the outside. <laughs> There's a Stevie in there who's really mad about a woman who wanted to go do some stuff for sure. Yeah. Do you know he's listed at 6 feet? He looks like uh, he's, he's about always six... seemed like a big old boy to me. Yeah, he looks like he's like six eight because of his. He just has an enormous presence. Yeah, he's um. Oh shit! What's the name of the guy's dad? Endar. He's Endar like. <laughs> yes, that's right. He's sneaky big like Endar. He has, he has an Endar like presence. <laughs> well, it's disappointing to hear that he's uh, only six feet tall. Then I couldn't believe that. I was like, man, this guy must be. This guy looks huge. He must be like six four or something. But I wonder well, if it's. I wonder if it's this big dome. He's got a huge dome, and it makes him seem larger than life. He's expanded outward, like, so much since this era that I think every part of him just looks massive. Um, Anyway, great crescendo in that song, great arrangements, great vocals. I would take eight more minutes of that, for sure. <laughs> Make it 16, Stevie. Uh, the next one's I Love Every Little Thing About You. This is a pretty straightforward love song with some very interesting Stevie Wonder flourishes in both the vocal performances and in the synth. Good percussion, yes. too, actually. There's some good drumming in this. Um, 
but this is what I say what I mean when I say it's a mood record like the songs on this album are so successful in <clears throat> provoking emotional reactions and it's impossible to listen to this song and be in a bad mood yeah this one's uh, here's let's have a little of it yeah They say you're not my friend You've been here through thick and thin And for that little girl love you And all I want to do is talk about you I'm here to say I love you more each day And I just want to tell the world ending which leads into the weirdest song so this song ends with him going he swear to god it's like fading out creepy fucking synths are playing and he's going cookie yeah. <laughs> it's not that long i'll fade out i guess here you go He's in a sweet little girl, which is so fucking weird. But he he, he has to give you a taste, though. He's like, <laughs> and a big old piece of cake. <laughs> what? Stevie, what? What are you talking about, buddy? Hey, you okay, Stevie? Cookie. C- candy. <laughs> Muffin. And a big old piece of cake. He lets pudding. P- pudding. And a big old piece of cake. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the back half of that song has great vocals he does a great vocal performance <clears throat> it leads into sweet little girl which is like an old west saloon of crazy harmonica and electric organ where stevie plays a creepy stalker version of himself with the wildest breakdown sections imaginable the pieces of this in between the verses are are actually hard to listen to because they make you feel bad inside. <laughs> and then his character goes buck wild at the end, and you can only feel a little bit ill when the song's over, but in awe nonetheless. So I'm here for the feelings, yeah. you know? Uh, let's have a little bit about it where he doesn't get crazy at the end. <laughs> yes. Ow. 
into it <laughs> by the way this is why i know he's playing a version of himself because he says you know your baby loves you more than he loves his clavinet an <laughs> instrument only i play that's right <laughs> it's wild what a weird fucking <clears throat> song he does that breakdown part a few different times and then at the end he goes off the rails a little bit and yes it's hard to listen to um yeah this brings something up. So we, when he was a kid, he was famous for the harmonica, and he plays the harmonica a ton in the Motown era, too. There are only two songs on this record where he even uses the harmonica, and that's obviously one of them. But he was clearly like, oh, these synthesizers. This is the shit I made. This is me. Like, that was what people wanted me to be, but the synthesizers is me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. This is where, in the book, it talks about the crazy Tonto synthesizer mm-hmm. that he would sit in, that he sat inside while people <laughs> like his plugged egg. and unplugged things on the outside. Like, yeah, he was inside a weird egg. Like his Darth Vader egg. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, and that one, I think he's just playing the Rhodes piano. Um, yeah. Well, let's see. If this uh, actually has a pretty good track list here. He plays, yeah, Rhodes piano on number four here. Harmonica. There's Moog uh, bass. Shit, the Moog bass is on everything in this whole album. Mm-hmm. The Obviously. Moog bass is the album, really. He plays drums on all the songs. Just one of them doesn't have any drums, but he plays drums on all the ones yes. that have uh, everything but Happier Than the Morning Sun. Uh, which is the next one. Um, for this song, to follow that song is a huge flex. Yeah, and uh, when this was an album, Happier Than the Morning Sun started side two. Yes. So it didn't. On a CD, it follows it right after that, and That's it's crazy. Uh, would have been different if it's like you could sort of start on either side or whatever. Yeah, that's true. And or if you go over and just flip it over or whatever. Um, yeah. 
But you get is, a little break in between the end of that and the start of Happier Than the Morning Sun. You probably need a break after the end of that. <laughs> Anyone, if you're curious what we're talking about, you just have to listen. Um, so this is like the softest, prettiest song on the record. There's no percussion. It's just like a nice layer of clavinet and Stevie's vocals and some great progressions. And I think what you have at the end is probably like the ultimate evolution of napping music. Like if you really needed a good nap, there's no golf on, but you want to enhance your appreciation of musical form at the same time, like put this flavor in your ear and take a nap. That's what I would say. All right. Oh, let's hear happier than the morning sun, I guess. Mm, clavin' it. And it's only on two tracks on this record. I'm happier than the morning sun. That's the way you said that it would be. If I should ever bring you inside my life, I'm happier than the morning sun. And that's the way you said that it would be. If I should ever bring Inside my life All my life I was alone Didn't think I'd find my part Now I see there's joy Inside your heart Every day I search for the star That never was Sky. And now I see this star is on the earth. And I am happier than the morning sun. Um, one of the things that that bad book constantly harped on was his choice of phrasing. Sure. But uh, that's just how Stevie Wonder do. I mean, the the chorus of this song is I'm happier than the morning sun. And that's the way you said that I would be if I should ever bring you inside my life. That's right. By the way, which I a hundred percent believe that's something he would say out loud, not in the song. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> He's a weird <laughs> dude. Of course he would say it that way. I'm not surprised it comes out that way when you're trying to fit it into a, a fucking musical phrase. Like why not? Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, does that book, that shit book, also talked a lot about how he he borrowed so many forms from the other Motown people. And like, if you were hanging around Smokey Robinson and you didn't try to pick up his insane wordplay and weird phrasing, you'd not, you wouldn't be doing your job. I agree. Like, Smokey Robinson did shit like that all the time where he phrased things so odd to fit them into the song. And at the end you go, I wouldn't have it any other way. That's the way it should be. Yeah. And like, um, if you don't, like, I'm always tempted to pick on I Second That Emotion <laughs> because the the entire idea is so bizarre. Yep. Uh, but, but also, the, what, Matthew, what are the first two lines of I Second That Emotion? Um, uh, boy, I can't. Uh, maybe you'd like to give me kisses sweet. Kisses sweet. 
but, but only, only for, for one, one night, time, one night and with no, no one and no repeat. <laughs> <That's right>. uh, <laughs> Come on, that's so good. <laughs> and maybe you'd like to leave and never call. And a taste of honeys. And a taste of honeys worse than none at all. Yeah. God damn. Smoking. <laughs> Shit. I'd love to break like, into his fucking house and steal. I would have to get into his Google you Docs. You know that it's fucking, yeah, that's right. He's probably on Google Docs now, but you know it's fucking piled up with notebooks full of the craziest <laughs> lyrics. That's true. I forgot that's exactly how that starts. Oh, man. Only for one <laughs> night, no repeat. Damn. Oh, he's got lots of good ones like that. Like, um, Special Occasion is one of my favorite songs just for the uh, Like one that calls uh, for a toast of champagne? <laughs> just for the insane ideas that come out of his brain in that song. You're like, huh, I never really thought about it that way, but I guess that's a special occasion. <laughs> um... Anyway, that's a fun one. His vocals are really great in the back half of that, too. Um, then you get Girl Blue. I mean, I guess the ultimate compliment I can pay to this song is that it's a, it's a real Stevie Wonder song. It sounds just like Stevie Wonder. What I mean is, like, the odd progressions, the talk box, the odd tinny drums, the synth percussion, the harmonica breaks, and the lush arrangement of all of the above. And it leads to a song that's kind of unlike anything I've heard from another artist. Like, in the wild, I've never heard anything that sounds like this. Just Stevie Wonder stuff. <clears throat> to me, it feels like something he came up with in the 60s and hid from Barry Gordy. <laughs> like, it's just been marinating in there for years. And then the technology becomes available. And it just comes out almost fully formed as soon as he sits down in his egg or whatever. So, um, we can play a little bit of this, I guess. Yeah, let's have a little girl blue. Drum fills are wild. Leaves on branches for your pleasure, perform a soothing dance. The girl, it seems, in all my dreams, you're happy. Not only are the drum fills wild, and you're not wrong about that, but that's a fake pedal steel. Uh huh. That's. That a pedal steel could make those sounds exactly right in there. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's some kind of synth. Nope. He chooses the synth. In almost all cases, he chooses the way of the synth. Yeah. <laughs> not only that, but um, he somehow in 1974 or whenever this album was released, 72. 72, yeah. Uh, 
he somehow predicted exactly what it would sound like to hear someone play a song to you over Zoom. <laughs> it's true. That's what it sounds it like. It has the exact quality. Like, he's it, using the talk box, it, but he's not using it to sound like he does in the first song. It, exactly. It's a talk box that he's not modulating at all. Yep. It's bizarre. Um, so it sounds like it sounds like it's over Zoom, but that's when you hear that in the podcast, it, it's not because that's what's happening. It's being recorded directly from my iPad on my side. It's just that's how that song sounds. Yeah, it's fucking wild. Like every time the chorus starts, it sounds really hopeful, but every chorus ends sounding very sad. <laughs> And, and especially after that second one, when you when the crazy fake pedal steel comes in on the next verse, uh-huh. and you're like, "Oh, this is upsetting." And it so it really is like it feels really blue at the end. And um, I mean the I mean the words are bummers too, all about how sad this this girl is. But um, it's just like the moods on this record they just keep changing as you go forward, and you're like, you can't fucking you can't you can't track it. Um, which I think leads to more active listening, but, uh, it leads to seem so long. I think this is one of his best vocal performances of the 1970s, maybe bested only by the last track on this record, which is evil. It's a pretty straightforward ballad. It's a love song. It's about loss. It has these amazing crescendoing vocals and amazing arrangement. Um, and a kind of unusually quick outro that sounds a little bit hopeful at the end. And if you ask me about Stevie Wonder's most underrated songs, this is the one I'd think of first. The craftsmanship is so apparent and it just takes a while to get into it. Like, in fact, I'll recommend we start this one like halfway through. Um, Cause if you give it a chance and you get all the way through it at the end, you're like, fuck, we really went on a fucking journey in these four minutes or whatever. <laughs> So, but it's a slow starter, so it's never mentioned along with his best works. But, um, you know, it's got the same synthetic packaging that Girl Blue and Happier Than the Morning Sun uh, came in. So it feels like a part of this this album's back half, this home stretch. So, yeah, I'd recommend like somewhere halfway through. She was too pleased. She knew I wouldn't leave for her to suffer. I'd never make her suffer. I believe you're just like me And that you understand You want me for your man To always love me You can believe it seems so long You hear that Tonto? (laughs) (laughs) Since I've touched the want. I trusted someone else. I had to see this world for myself, and it's been so long that the world seems cold. Now I think I. Make me trust in 
Yeah, so he blows it out there like it's the 60s still. Because that's what he sounds like on the Motown records, is he just kind of... Like, even more than the the great arrangements and his insane electric piano and shit that he did in the 60s, his his vocals are wild. There are songs on um, For Once in My Life where you can hear him gasping <laughs> because he's absolutely blown everything he's got on that recording. Like, at the end of... Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know why. He, he he at the end he's literally like gasping for air because he's just absolutely, you know, given a hundred percent on the vocals. I always think of him as a like crazy genius songwriter. Mm. Uh, I think about his uh, wild use of farty sounding synths <laughs> all the time. Yeah, man, uh, the Tonto's going wild on that one. <laughs> His uh, incredible ability to summon funk when he wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't often think about him as a singer, but uh, he does blow it out. You're not wrong. Speaking of uh, getting the funk when he wants it, the next one is Keep On Running. And actually, this is a good time to say there are two singles from this record. And it was clear that at this point, Stevie Wonder was running the show. Because... Rather than pick any of the ones that might be a reasonable length, he picked <laughs> Superwoman, which is eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and he picked the next one, Keep On Running, which is six minutes and 40 seconds. And yeah. it's like... Uh, Girl Blue and I Love Every Little Thing About You are roughly single length, but... Mm-hmm. And evil. Yep. But, uh, no. No. <laughs> Super, Superwoman, which... Two songs. I, the, idea, the idea that a radio station has ever played it is strange to me. Yeah. And then uh, keep on running, which is, I mean, absolutely radio appropriate, except that it's except that twice he, as long. Yeah, imagine. I mean, I, it would be so great to hear on the radio, but it's um, every time you think yeah, he must be ready to quit this thing now. It's when he's <laughs> well, then you get another. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> it's when he's well, just bring it down a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> bring it, bring it down a little bit. And then he wants to turn it up again, and then you're like, "Oh shit, hold on, he's turning it up again." Don't don't turn off the song yet. Um, um, yeah, one one more big horny wall of funk flies in on the back half of this record. This song is so fire, even like you said, even Stevie Wonder gets swept away just doing crazy mouth noises along with the piano riffs. Um, well, uh, I'll play some of yeah, it. Go for I mean, it. y'all know y'all know keep on running, but it's extremely nasty. So here it is. Fuck, it's so good. Some gon' get you. Some gon' grab you. Some gon' jump out the bushes and grab you. What is it? Is it funk? Hold on, hold on. You're on fast. Some gon' grab you. Some gon' jump out the bushes and grab you. <laughs> Yeah. 
to the background There's a part, if you look at the lyrics for this song on Genius.com, where after the third verse, which we didn't play, mm. but it's similar to the others, there's really only one idea in it, Yep. which is, I know I'm going to get you in the end because I need you, so. Yeah. Uh, then the next thing on Genius.com says, chorus two times 42. 42 rounds of that second <laughs> chorus. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so... You know, I was only slightly exaggerating when I said that he he will play the chorus of a song 80 times, but by, you're going to be totally into it. <laughs> yep. That's only a little bit made up. I mean, this one. OK, so in the book club, we were talking about some of the differences between songs in the key of life, which has some very long songs on it. And some of his earlier stuff, which are also very long, like in, on this record. And how the ones on songs in the key of life. At the end, you're very satisfied and you were happy you were on the journey. But it was kind of like he was hypnotizing you into it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like he was kind of bringing you along slowly and you were being conditioned to follow along. But the songs on this record, like this one and um, Love Having You Around, are so participatory. Like you can't help but get into it, sing along, bob your head along, whatever. So yeah, almost seven minutes. He repeats himself over and over and over again, but it's just constant f- hot funk. Um, I mean, if you don't like this one, I guess you're, you're just telling on yourself is what I would say, probably. <laughs> uh, another great drum performance in this song, too. Hard to tell because he always mixes his drums down. <clears throat> but if you listen to it, it's really, really good. It feels like this should have been electric piano and clavinet but he uses the real thing in this one instead of the roads yeah um also this was once the theme song for women's college basketball on espn and it actually (laughs) made me tune in and watch women's hoops because the song got me so hyped that i'd be like yeah i'm gonna fucking watch maryland versus fucking virginia women's basketball hell yeah uh i mean you could put like video of like a a bingo game in the background and play this song and I'd be searching up bingo parlors on bing, <laughs> like, bing. Yeah, I might want to play some bingo yeah I'd go to bing olds That's, and <laughs> I would search for bingo parlors um, yeah just hot just hot hot fire oh by the way <clears throat> you talked about how it only has one idea that he's gonna get her because he needs her and also because I assume the guy she's with sucks 
This is almost yeah, the ex- well the first the the first verse the uh, the one idea is that the guy she's with is going to bring her down. Yeah. The second verse, the one idea is he's almost caught up to that guy. That's right. That's right. And the third idea, he knows he's going to get her because he needs her. <laughs> so it's a little stalkerish, also, by the way. Yes, exactly. So anyway, this is this is almost this is like the evolution of Shooby Dooby Doo Da Day. I don't know if you have the ability to play that. What record is that on? That's off of For Once in My Life, which is the best of his Motown records. Which is straight, yes, electric piano, all the same thoughts and ideas, and it's constant funk. It just doesn't go seven minutes. Because it's for the radio. Oh, you can hear the Motown production, though. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, the strings, though. (laughs) Oh, but this one's addressed to the guy. You hear that? Yeah, I did. Fuck. It's such a good song. Oh. The, the low strings and bass yeah. at the same time go. Yeah, listen. Uh, we talk brothers. about we talk about the Motown stuff like it was uh, holding it back and it was bad, but I love all that Motown stuff. Oh, that record is so good. That gets so wild in the end. They got some creepy high strings that play throughout the final verse as, again, he is howling like a maniac. And probably loses his voice after singing the last verse of that song. Anyway, super funky, all like electric piano, singing about how dude's treating her bad, so he's going to get her. Probably because he needs her. Um, <laughs> all right, so the last track on Music of My Mind is Evil. I did this in our album cuts uh, bracket or whatever it was list. Um, I think this is his best vocal performance of his classic period. I think this just beats out... Um, um, seems so long from earlier in the record. This is basically just an earnest Stevie Wonder style cry in the dark about the nature of man. Um, that is so. Yes, it is called evil. It is addressed to the concept of evil. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's beautiful and affecting, and it's the best album outro I could imagine. And paired with love having you round, this has some major bookends. This record. Um. If we were playing Blather Round, I'd probably say talk about Crescendo, because this <laughs> it's just one big Crescendo. There's no verse-chorus shit. It's just a constant build to the amazing, amazing ending of this song. This is another one I'd recommend you start, like, halfway through, because it just is such fire at the end. Why have you taken over God's children die? Yo! Yeah. 
dude made this record in his basement, mostly yeah. by himself. He was a person who was 21 years old who already had dozens of major hits. Yeah. It's kind of insane. Most people have one, like, if they have a good record in them, they have one good record in them. He, the things that he did from, again, I the period I like to say is 68 to 79 because he was mostly independent for a lot of that. But even if you go back to, like, 65, when he was 14 years old, and he makes a song called Uptight, which is, mm, I don't know, one of the best Motown <laughs> songs. I, it's such a good, it's so fucking hot and it sounds way ahead of its time and he's a teenager and he makes a million more records as a teenager and by the time he's 21 he's got all these crazy ideas in his head about all the stuff he hasn't been able to do would love to be able to do finally has the independence the technology the contract everything to be able to do and he puts out talking book music of my mind inner visions fulfilling this first finale and songs in the key of life all in a row it's such a wild resume. Like, nobody has a resume like this. You could say, you could name anybody you want. You can name Prince. You can name fucking the Beatles. Like, anyone you that you can think of who has, like, the reputation as being an insane artist, nobody has a resume like this. Now, it's unfortunate that the 80s and 90s and 2000s happen. Because <laughs> he's very bad in those decades. It's not even like he's a little bad. He's He's a hack. He's a real hack. And so it's very hard to um, come to terms with what happened in the back half of his career. But (laughs) 60s and 70s, he's untouchable. Um, When we were listening to Evil there, uh, he's got some synths on there that sound a little bit like horns. Really, they're just doing the work that horns would have done. Right. If it were a regular production. And... The song wouldn't be worse if it were real horns. No. But also doesn't need to be, it turns out. No, it, well, because it really puts it... It puts it in this album, like, thematically. That's what this album sounds like, is these crazy synths, like the, the Tonto and all the other stuff. So, it's all... Like, this is in the era of albums, and this is very much an album. You listen to all of these songs together, you really get a picture for what he was thinking of. Um, it came out the same year as Talking Book. Talking Book is my, whatever, my fifth favorite Stevie Wonder record. It's full of outrageously good songs. But it doesn't, it's never touched this album for me. I mean, it's got Superstition and uh, one of my absolute favorites. If we did uh, Closing Tracks, mm-hmm. Draft or Project or whatever, um, I believe when I fall in love, it'll be forever. Would so be wild. Way up there on my list. Such a good song. It's got Big Brother, which is just, <sighs> you know, sometimes I marvel that we're 50 years on now from um, what's going on. 50 years. And yes. all the things he sings about are exactly the problems we're still talking about today. <laughs> and that's Big Brother's the same. Big Brother is like everything in it is exactly what we're talking about today from 1972. I was actually thinking about this with Marjan the other day. When What's Going On came out, our dad, our old dad, was 24. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even remember what it was like when I was 24. (laughs) 
but he was our old dad was 24 when what's going on came out and everything in it is relevant today uh it's not just that our dad is older than us our dad was 34 when he had me and 38 when he had matt he's old he's old that's what i was like good god what and the world was i guess the same it was mostly america was mostly the same it turns out yeah uh, anyway, so yeah, the, so he, this is the one where he came to Barry Gordy and he had these two records. He had talking book and he had music in my mind and he threw them on his desk with his crazy contract that he and his lawyer wrote together, like by themselves. And he just goes, um, sign this as it is, no changes, or I go to CBS records. Yeah. And Barry Gordy listens to talking book and he listens to music in my mind and he says, well, you, <laughs> I'm fucked. you got me over a barrel. <laughs> um, I, I'm definitely going to sign it. He signs it as is. And then as that shitty book we read talked about, he does another round of it, a, another contract later on, which is yeah. the same deal where he says, fucking take it or leave it. Sign this contract or I'm gone. And he signs it again. So anyway, uh, here's a, here's, I just want to point out one crazy thing on Wikipedia here. Uh, I believe when I fall in love, it will be forever is a soul song co-written and performed by American singer songwriter, Stevie wonder and Yvonne Wright. For Wonder's 15th studio album, Talking Book, 1972. <laughs> he was 21! 15th studio album. He was 21 years old. That's what I'm saying. It's so quick. <laughs> and this is another thing when I'm talking about resume. Like, you can't even... It's hard to... Do you remember what you were like when you were 21? Like, uh, I couldn't do yep. anything. Well, let's not get into it, but yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. And he had... He was, he was on his 15th and 16th records. And... I talked about Uptight earlier. He was 14 years old. Uh, I was made to love her. He was 16 years old. That record that I had you play a little bit of for once in my life, he was only 17 years old. Yep. It's amazing. And he composed it. He arranged it. He produced it. All these records, even before he started going into the basement and playing everything himself, he would play some of the stuff, but he was in charge of the entire production, even when it was the Funk Brothers and Barry Gordy and Clarence Paul and everybody looking over his shoulder. So, like, I just, I don't even know what to say. Like, his story is so wild. So, that's it. That's my my uh, 5,000 cents on this record. And that's enough podcast. We did a couple of quizzes. We did the mailbag. Mm-hmm. Uh Please write in. We're doing mailbags every two weeks again, so uh, fill it up. F- yeah, fill it up, or be prepared for long form weird projects like this. That's right. We might deep dive on something else if we have to fill time. That's what we're gonna do. I got a really good K-pop list that is just itching <laughs> to get out. I haven't right, shared could, it with anyone. We could do a solid two hours on the first K-pop bracket that Matt had me do. <laughs> That's right. It's all decided. The winners are in. Yeah, you've really been slacking on number two though. That's true. I have not really been diving into number two so far. Yeah. Uh, next week is the Star Trek week, week 99. Oh. Matt's already teased it, but if you're watching with us, uh, we're going to be watching Redemption Part 1. Could be interesting. A lot of that Klingon Romulan stuff that's been building all season. Yeah. Uh, looking for Parmach in all the wrong places. It's more Klingon stuff, but I can't say I'm as excited about it. And Timeless, an episode which Matt remembers a lot of and has teased me with, <laughs> and I don't, I'm I'm going to have to be the one who describes it, so that means I have to pay a lot of attention when I watch it. It's exciting. It's been a long time since you've done the episode description on a Voyager, so. It has been a while. <laughs> be looking for some hot, hot takes. Uh, yeah, well, like uh, Judah said, send us mail. 
that was a, a paltry mailbag we just had. You really, you all have a lot of growing up to do. <laughs> At Brother Date on the Twitter machine, brothersofbrotherdate.com. No one sends us email anymore. Please do that. Um, you can go to brotherdate.com and check out all of the dumb projects that we've done over the years. And that's where the episodes live if you want to go back and maybe listen to one of the ones, maybe the one about Times Squared. I have to figure out what episode title that was, but um, uh, that's a good question. That was episode. Th- it was week thirty-eight, so that would have been oh boy, nineteen plus seventy-four. <laughs> well, you get in the right area, you'll be able to tell by the episode title. Nineteen plus seventy-four. <laughs> so you know it's in like around week ninety-three, maybe not exactly week ninety-three, <laughs> somewhere around there. Yeah, it's in there. Anyway, uh, you can get all those. From the feed. And then, um, yeah, all the podcatchers. I think they all got us now. They even got us in Russia. Or at least on Russian VPNs. That's fun for everybody. I got a lot to say about Navalny. Nobody nobody asked me for my opinion, but I have opinions about him. So, (laughs) Um, All right, everybody. Uh, As you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. As you believe, so shall you do. Shall you do. And then you have Sweet Little Girl, which I assume is there to make you feel other indeterminate emotions. <laughs> that's, that's one of the more challenging ones on the record. <laughs>